shall we begin? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Legion Quest. As always, I am your host, a gruff old man who's given up on life, Zachary Jenkins. And with me today, as every podcast, is a young, angry girl just trying to find her place in the world, Matt Sibley. Matt, how are you doing? I was unsure whether you were going to go for that or Xavier. I'm reasonably happy with how this turned you out. You are British. You are British. That would have made more sense. <laughs> That 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 would have been the obvious choice. <laughs> Though to be fair, like my name on Zencaster right now just says Xavier File, so I've stopped associating that word with the character and just be like, oh yeah, that's that's the name of my stupid website. Yeah, and in order to get there, you'd have to rethink a couple things. So yeah, don't necessarily have the time for that. Yeah, we could scrap this whole thing, but we will not. Uh, yeah, welcome to uh, Legion Quest. We are back after a month hiatus, and by hiatus, I mean the show Legion has not come back. And Matt, do you know any news about the show Legion? Because I have not seen anything. Uh, it's like for your consideration season for Emmys right now, so I know Aubrey Plaza talked about episode 6, I think, on like Vanity Fair, so maybe we'll hear something in the next month related to Emmys, but I, those are in September anyway, so it's still a while to go. Yeah, episode six was the one where they... The before Bolero they EDM. In... Isn't it? Or is that seven? Wait, it's a eight-episode series? Yeah. So eight was the one, seven... Six, six was the uh, bottle episode. Okay. Yeah. Maybe seven yeah. then, but... I mean that that's a good op- oh that one has that good good monologue yeah. at the end oh yeah that's probably the best one for her even though I think the I think that black and white silent movie thing in seven is probably a better overall scene I think Opera mm-hmm. Plaza's work in six is probably stronger yeah I don't think anyone else has done anything else or anything related to it but I assume Dan Stevens is going to have something soon because I don't see why they wouldn't nominate him. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I we we've said it on here. Aubrey Plaza is the obvious choice for best mm. supporting actress or what have you from that show. She was the standout. Yeah, I would look it up, but the PDFs have like five hundred people on it, and I don't know how long it would take. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter, Matt, because this is not a Legion-centric episode, even though we knocked that out in the first three minutes <laughs> today. We're talking Today, about something else that begins with L. We are. It does begin with L. You're absolutely right. And it has Xavier as a father figure. So True. It's basically you got, you got both of those playing. This yeah, is a no, lateral move. Yeah, yeah, a lateral move to Logan. Now, Logan is the third film in the Wolverine spinoff and the tenth film total of the X-Men film series. It came out earlier this year, and I'm just going to say it right now. It's my favorite stabbing-based movie in the history of movies. Yeah, that's that's fair. There aren't that many movies that would count as stabbing movies, and this one's pretty good. I mean, I don't. I think there's plenty of movies that involve a gratuitous amount of stabbing. I'm not sure there are plenty of movies that want to be about a gratuitous amount of stabbing and then also something more. And I think Logan tries yeah, to do true. that. Yeah, yeah. I think- of everything that's come come out this year, comic book movie wise so far, Logan's the one which has like at least gone the extra mile. I mean, like Guardians attempts to do some stuff. Guardians Two is a perfectly serviceable movie. I enjoyed yeah. it, but let's not go around pretending that it was the best. I have seen three superhero movies this year. Not counting Wonder Woman. Well, four. I saw Captain Underpants. Uh, okay, that, I have not seen that. I did not go out of my way to watch it. However, it is set in the town of Piqua, Ohio, which is where my wife was from. Okay. And her family still lives there, and that is where my comic book shop is. So let's just say young me in the late 90s, when those books were coming out, felt a real, real connection to Captain Underpants. Mm. And they were uh, they were throwing it at the drive-in. Which do they have? Do they have drive-in theaters in Britain? 
None that I can think of, but I feel like we have driving events if we can find a field. <laughs> yeah. I'm fairly, I feel like, yeah, I feel like my university showed it may have been Greece in like the car park one day, so it's, it was sort of a drive-in, but... Greece seems like the right movie to do that mm. with, because, yeah. But yeah, that drive-in theater that's in Greece, yeah, that's that's what's just hanging out in a couple blocks away from my house. Okay, that's pretty close then. It's not the optimal movie-going experience, because essentially imagine that theater from Greece, and then add 67 years to it, Mm. and then just assume that you can't make money in a drive-in theater, so you can't improve the place. Though they did get, they got a nice projector recently. Okay, that's an improvement. But yeah, I went there with my son because they were showing Captain Underpants and Wonder Woman, and I have gone to see Wonder Woman twice and failed two times. Oh god, I, I knew about the first attempt, but, but the second. Yeah, the second was going to the drive-in, and I thought my son was going to be good, and he was good for the first movie, and then he was horrible in intermission. So, uh. who did that? But it was eight bucks to get in. So, look, eight dollar double feature, even if you only go for one. Yeah, it's cheaper than here. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> back on topic. Yeah, I think we went on a Guardians <laughs> tangent into drive-ins yeah. the Midwest. <laughs> I feel like it. It's relevant to talk about. You know what else has come out this year because you haven't seen Wonder Woman, but that I have. That's that, like heard that again is serviceable and it kind of hits the superhero elements particularly well. But it's not as if it's trying to be a character study in the same way that Lugan is. Was Wonder Woman better than the other DC uh, superhero movie that came out this year, Lego Batman? I'm going to say yes, but I think it's reasonably close. Like They're both kind of in around the same level of enjoyment, and then I think it would be down to the person which one would edge the other out. Because Lego Batman was pretty good. Like, yeah, it was. I enjoyed was. that film immensely. Mm. I also have a soft spot for Legos, and, I mean, Will Arnett's Batman is the best thing since Brave and the Bold. Mm. We've gone through several Batmans, yeah. and the animated ones have been head and shoulders above the people on the actual screen. Yeah, I definitely. think my three favorite Batman are all animated. I did. I, when someone asked me last year at some point, I said Arnett, like, just to kind of fill a spot, a spot, but I don't think I would disagree that I put him in there. You know what? Yeah, I mean. Anyway, Logan, the yeah. what we're actually no, we've, trying to we've set about. the landscape for Logan to kind of come in and be something which is a little bit more, and, and not unlike, as traditional. Yeah, and unlike Generation X, where we spent time avoiding talking <laughs> about it because there were some issues. That's, that's uh, a few. I mean, look, I don't think Logan's a perfect movie, mm-hmm. but I liked it. Yeah. So. We're I will say watching it this time, like, my opinion of it is the same as it was then. Like, there's no bit where I was like, I, I really forgot about, like, this weird 30-minute subplot that doesn't work out. Like, I enjoyed it just the same. Yeah, no. I, uh, well, when you did your rewatch, did you just do the theatrical version? Uh, yeah, I'd seen, or I, I looked up, I think it's the opening scene, which was on YouTube in the mm-hmm. Logan Noir, and I didn't particularly like how it looked, so I was like, I'm... I'll just stick with the normal version. I mean, I think the color version was better. Mm. But the black and white version worked because about three minutes in, it stopped being any different to me. But I, I mm. would say that opening scene is probably the least effective in black and white. Yeah, I think it's just one of the things where it wasn't lit in the same way. Like, oi, like yeah. lighting for a movie in color is different to the way that you put it in black and white. And the reason that it worked for... Fury Road is because of the fact that that was designed like as if it could be a silent film, so it kind of had those sensibilities there. Right. No, I, I think uh, there's a lot of high contrast stuff, especially uh, when they're escaping from the weird Mexico compound that they're just mm. all living in. <laughs> that it mm. starts to really shine there. But yeah, that, like when Mangold gets the chance, like in the regular movie, to kind of shoot wider and kind of take in the landscapes, it looks phenomenal. So I imagine there it's better, but kind of in like the up-close combat of that opening scene where 
yeah like it's... like it's not it's not super tight where it's like focusing on faces and then claws but it's not really like pulled back and then you've got the black of the limo as well mm-hmm. yeah it was i don't think that was a particularly effective use of it but yeah uh so we're just gonna go into this assuming that anyone listening to this podcast has seen logan hmm because we are going to get into spoiler territory because I have some strong feelings about things in this film. And we come from it from two very, you know, similar but different perspectives when it comes to like how long we've been with the franchise. Because you've kind of grown up with this. and how 17 years since X-Men, right? Yeah, so I did yeah. want to talk about it because my, uh, my initial interactions with the x-men film franchise have actually really shaped how i felt about this film and how i approach it so i did want to provide a little bit of perspective on that uh in the town directly south of piqua ohio home of captain underpants uh is troy ohio where uh, after my parents divorced when i was younger <laughs> uh my dad was living there so i remember one weekend in 2000 it was, I want to say it was just me and him for some reason. My younger sister didn't want to come up. She was sick or something. Mm. And we were hanging out at his house in downtown Troy. And I it was late summer. I wanted to go see this X-Men movie because I liked the animated series when I was a kid. I had my DK uh, Ultimate Guide to the X-Men that I had flipped through several times. And I have since rebought that book because... If you want to know why I started a website that is an encyclopedia <laughs> about X-Men, it's because I read an encyclopedia about X-Men a lot when I was younger. It was one of my favorite books. But, uh, so me and my dad, we went, uh, walked to the Mayflower Theater, which was a couple blocks away from his house, watched that first X-Men movie, and the theater was crappy. The projection started cutting out right at the very end at the Statue of Liberty in that big climactic scene. But I walked away from that movie loving it. I mean, people honestly do not understand what the landscape was in 2000 versus 2017 when it comes to comic book movies. Yeah, like Batman and Robin basically caused a crash for a couple years. Well... you say that Batman and Robin just really crashed Batman <laughs> because mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah that's fair there was there was the Richard Donner Superman movies mm-hmm. which vary in quality I've actually not seen I've just they were never something that we picked up mm-hmm. uh but you had those and then you had a few you know Marvel made for TV garbage movies <laughs> like Generation X and then you had uh, the Batman movies that had the two from Burton and the two from uh, Joel Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. And that last one really, uh, really uh, yeah, took it off the map for like near 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It took taking Batman to the darkest, most realistic, brooding Batman you could have for people to be like, oh yeah, Batman's okay. Batman's mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. Which is kind of the same thing that Burton had to do uh, in response to the Adam West stuff in the 60s, because that oh, was the true. public image. Mm. I think, to, to an extent, then, like, Batman and Robin is kind of shaped like the X-Men, and they went a little bit more serious and shied away from costumes. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not like a super oh, big yeah. change in that way. I mean, even you look at those Batman and Robin costumes... You don't have Dick Grayson running around in hot pants. No. It's... God. <laughs> so you take those that were pretty, you know, they were the movie versions of a comic costume, and then you say, hey, guys, that might be a little too far. And then you have a couple things hitting in between, like The Matrix was a big deal. Blade oh, yeah. was a big movie, even though, and I know people are going to give me crap for it, but Blade's not a comic book movie. Blade's a movie that happens to have comic book characters in it, but no one knew that Blade was a comic book character. Yeah, that's you that's fair. to watch Spider-Man the Animated Series. Yeah, I don't think I knew it was a comic book movie until very late. Yeah, Blade was. It may have even been like a. Movie. Oh, Ryan Reynolds is in another one. And I'm like another one. Yeah, he's a uh, he's had some luck, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, they so you know, X Men was really the statement of hey, these can be serious films. I mean, the film opens up with the Holocaust, mm-hmm. so it it goes about as serious as you can. That's the anti Batman and Robin right there. Yeah, but you know it it does all that. So that movie was a big thing for me, and my big memory of that is going and watching it with my dad. And he's not like super into this franchise, which is fine. I think he's seen most of the movies, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this, this is an enjoyable film." But he's he's not starting a website about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and Matt, what was your experience with like the X Men films? Because I know you're you're a little younger than me. So yeah, I I, I really got into this stuff kind of late. Like I think it must have been New Year's Eve 2012 when I watched The Avengers. So it is within like the year that it came out, but it's also way past the summer season when most people had seen it. So I, I felt like my entry into all of the X Men movies was probably First Class, then Days okay. of Future Past. Like that, you know, that stuff would have still been at home as opposed to going and seeing it in a theater. Right. And then you know, charting my way through the back catalogue the same way that I would have done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which meant that Apocalypse would have been the first X movie that I saw in theatres, and then now Logan. So, like, I still have a certain, like, connection to it. It's not as strong as anyone who grew up with Hugh Jackman as Logan. Right. But I think, like, you know, if if you've got the camp of Marvel should be getting the rights back to this, and anyone who disagrees is a horrible person because clearly Fox have done so much wrong. Like I'm not near that, you know, like Apocalypse is a great movie by any standard. It's not particularly good, but I don't think it is anywhere near the worst offering of last year. Apocalypse is a real hard C. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's where it is. There are some, there are some good parts in that movie. And for, for the record, I think it's better than like a freaking uh, the last stand. Yeah. Where the last stand also has some good parts, but the bad outweighs it. I think Apocalypse kind of comes on the other side of that, but that's yeah, that's, fair. that's me personally. So, so that's that's how we're both coming into Logan. Yeah, and so I think let's. No, well, like you know, even coming into this, I don't think any of us really knew what we were going to be getting. Uh, like, knew. Especially from the opening scene when the first word is "fuck," <laughs> which. So here's here's what I I'm trying to like wrap my brain around. I I know there's this big trend of oh yeah R-rated comic book movies that's the way to do it, and I so disagree with that from a fundamental standpoint that that makes something better. Yeah, Logan Wolverine is a character whose superpower is that he has six knives always with him. And that anytime someone shoots him, he can just be like, well, that sucks. I'm going to bleed for a second, and then I'm going to keep moving forward. Mm. He doesn't win fights by being a better fighter than you. He wins fights because you just cannot stop him, and he's just going to keep stumbling on over to you and cutting you to bits because he just wants this done. Mm. So, I mean, and... I, think that, I think that's what you do with R rating. No, I f- the, the R rating here works and i think the the way the violence is handled for the most part like avoids being you know gratuitous or or just because they have the rating there are there are like a couple instances where i think they like there are times when logan stabbed someone more like once more than i thought he should have but but that's more that's not like a i'm particularly squeamish about it it's just more like a it feels like this is running a little bit longer than it should be when there are more bad guys around this this movie has a good like ten minutes that I think you could cut out of it and make it tighter, but I don't yeah. know what I think it's just it's just a little it lags a little bit in the middle. But yeah, let's, oh, I think that I think you would fix that not by necessarily cutting a scene, but more just like trimming down shots and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like I heard pe- people talking about that farm the farm scene. They said, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that that kills the movie, and I'm thinking, no, no that. That sets up a ton of emotional stakes for that film. Yeah, I feel like that's the most that's like the linchpin of the movie more more so than somewhere like the first time we go to the Mexico kind of complex thing where Xavier's hiding out. Yeah, it's it's what the farm scene in Avengers: Age of Ultron wanted to be, 
and okay. with the farm scene in the 1989 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was. I do not remember that one. I do remember Age of Ultron. Wait. <laughs> Have you seen Have you seen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie? I feel like I did as a kid, but I do not remember a farm scene. Uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, long story short, everyone gets mad and they go to a farm to meditate because Splinter gets captured and Raphael was a loose cannon. Okay. That that, that movie like keeping with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That that movie is not great, but it is. <laughs> the best that a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in the late 80s, early 90s was ever going to be. Yeah, that's fair. So, Logan, uh, let's let's just kind of hit, what did you what did you like about this movie? Like, what resonated with you? What worked for you? I think the emotional tissue is the strongest bit of the movie, and some maybe some of the strongest in comic book movies in general, because of the fact that most people have kind of been with Hugh Jackman, as he's been through all of these different movies in you know, varying degrees of how long he's played the role. Like there's a brief scene in Apocalypse, but he's basically the focus of Days of Future Past. And you know, the same goes for Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. Like, there is that tangible connection there, which has been built up over many years. Right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's what worked about this film for me there's you can feel that these are characters like if you're going to do an old man logan story that can't be like story two you tell it can't be like okay we're going to introduce batman and immediately have him do uh you know uh the dark knight returns that would be a horrible way to set up a movie in a franchise that'd be like that'd be like having the second superman story be the death of superman that would be ridiculous All, all hypotheticals of course Right, no one would ever think that's the right choice. <laughs> but oh I gosh. think after 17 continuous years with these characters, like even when Patrick Stewart wasn't on screen, uh, you're still getting the character of Xavier and that version of Xavier kind of growing and changing through James McAvoy's performance. Yeah. So, like, you you have a connection to these and I'll say, as someone who was nine when it first came out and was 25 when Logan came out, seeing that whole growth, it was like, oh, yeah, this is this is something that has always been with me and a part of the media I consume. Mm. So I think that really seeing... shows the strength of the movie, like that time frame. And, it's, and it, you know, that time frame has been when people have complained about weird continuity when Movies have jumped a decade, but characters haven't aged. Uh, yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I think the it has a very strong emotional response from everyone. I mean, frankly, look, I am not someone who gets emotional at movies, but when I was in theaters and friggin' Laura, who we haven't even mentioned, and is probably the highlight of this film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, she's great. Uh, hmm. But when she when she takes that cross and turns it into an X, I got teary eyed. That was hmm. that was like an oh snap, this is all real and this is hitting thing. I didn't get that far, but I feel like you could sense the atmosphere in the room, kind of realizing like this is the legacy now of Logan. Well, it was it was weird walking out of it because there's been like I want to say one other film that I've seen in theaters that had that amount of stunned silence, like no one knew how to react to the end of it. And that was The Passion of the Christ. Oh, okay. Which, mm. I want to say this is oddly comparable to that movie. In I, terms I get where you're coming from. It would make... Tone and violence and emotional... Yeah. Well, uh, oh shoot, I forget who who had it. I It might have been on Vulture. Uh, about the themes of religion in the film Logan. I forget who post or who wrote it. It was a fabulous article. I f- it may have been Vulture. That sounds like something that would go there. Yeah, and I, I think that really, like, the same kind of themes resonate in Logan. So mm. it was... Yeah, I think, the, I think the emotional side hit real well in this. Now, mm. Matt... Now that you've mentioned Laura as well, we should probably say, like, 
it is very you know people have like a predisposition not to like child actors and then for Daphne Keene to come in with what is at first like a, a silent performance and become like a real star in this way like it, it shows the strength of what she was able to do with it yeah she was good good she she hit all of the beats that the movie needed now i will say that i'm not i think that her body language and her uh her silent acting was a bit stronger than the dialogue stuff but i also think part of it was because she had to affect a uh, mexican accent and i she had she had a mexican accent of someone who doesn't speak english well and was trying to speak it and i mm-hmm. think that I think that was a weird it was it was accurate to what the character's experience was, but I'm not sure that served the film as well as, you know, just hand-waving it away and saying, "Oh yeah, she can speak English, she just hasn't." Yeah, I f- I, it fits with the world that they've created because, you know, it, like this one of the things that this movie does well in its first half is the way that it kind of builds up this place which we haven't yet seen. But there's right, you know, illusion, right. and there's enough illusion to things like the Westchester incident, where we get like a, a decent enough grasp of what happened without needing to know the specifics. And then, like, what is kind of like a throwaway line in the way when it comes to the the wheat and like don't really exist anymore. Oh, you mean you mean how this movie has a very strong anti-big agriculture message that kind of comes out of nowhere? Like I I. It is basically like a line, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like they're they're walking through the they're walking through the fields trying to fix the uh, water line. Uh, the gentleman that Logan's uh, stays at his farm, and he's like, "Yeah, stupid, stupid super corn," and he's like, "Wait, <laughs> super corn," and they go into no, he doesn't even ask. It's just like they progressing casual conversation about super corn for like twenty seconds. And then at the end, Xander Rice is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we put stuff in the supercorn so that people didn't turn into mutants." Yeah, like that is in a way, it's it's appropriately comic booky because it's also it's not the grand plan. Yeah, but like it's still something which could have happened, but it isn't as if Xander Rice then stood up and monologued at the end about like this was what the film was building to. We've made a oh yeah, because yeah, he. <laughs> Because he gets killed before he can go into a big monologue, yeah. which I kind of I kind of appreciated. Like, there's a feeling in the movie of, I don't care about why anymore. It's the the details of how the situation occurred isn't what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. The movie's not about the fact that it's you know a bad future for the X Men. It's about how. Uh, you know, this one guy, this one dude is dealing with it and dealing with all the loss at the end of his life and reflecting back and trying mm-hmm. to take measure of his worth as a person and find one last opportunity to say, you know what, maybe I'm not a screw-up. I'm not a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Which, like, the movie... I feel like this is probably, like, the appropriate point to talk about Shane as well. I've never because... seen Shane... It seems I, I like watched a very it. iconic American movie that yeah. I've just not watched. I watched it in prep for Logan the first time. And <laughs> you and me prep for movies very differently. I watched X-Men uh, Origins Wolverine. I wanted to appreciate <laughs> Logan more. I felt like I remembered those enough that I hadn't seen Shane before this. So it's like, if people are making the comparison, I may as well try to understand that in real time rather than like come out and do it in the reverse order. I mean, I don't think people are making the comparison. I think James Mangold is straight mm. up putting in neon lights. Hey, this movie's real into Shane. Mm. <laughs> well, like, so Shane is about a character called Shane, played by Alan Ladd, who kind of stumbles on a town. He, he, you know, he kind of used to be a gunslinger, and he's mm. now, a, you know, pretty much against the idea of going out and doing that because he kind of understands the weight that violence can have on the world and the way that it can shift a place and so like that comes across in logan one because of the fact that they watch it in the hotel room when they're at the casino and it's also laura laura's eulogy for logan yeah and so you know it then kind of it it's in 
Logan the character himself because even though the movie opens with him kind of attacking that group of people who have come after him, it's that's in self-defense. It isn't as if he's gone out of his way to pick a fight. And in general, he's kind of against the idea of fighting. Like he just wants to one get Laura to Eden, but two, he kind of wants to do it in a way which is the road less traveled by him, one which isn't as violent. Yeah, which I think works not just for uh, Logan as a character that has been a going concern since like 1973, but I also think it really works for the arc that Hugh Jackman's uh, Wolverine has set up. Mm. Like I, I think that was a that was a good good call on their part. I also think it does it in a way which is different or appropriately different than Old Man Logan, the original comic, because that involves him not upping his claws for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, that movie also had a lot of, or that comic also had like a lot of other stuff to lean on, like Hulk and the various other aspects of the Marvel Universe that Mark Millar and Steve McNiven use, whereas here, James Mangold's kind of left with this like core trio of characters, then he made the conscious decision to basically get rid of every other mutant. So it's then like you can focus it more intrinsically on Logan and the way that he responds to violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will put out as an aside, I did try to get Mark Millar on here, uh, like we did with Christina Strain, but Mark Millar is busier, and also I couldn't find his email address, and I gave up. You still tried to a degree. And... I went. I definitely went to the contact us site <laughs> on his webpage. Actually, I actually was talking to Ed Brisson, who's uh, doing the new Old Man Logan series. Yeah, uh, we started just... this week. Yeah, have you read that? Is it good? I did. I'm in Canada, uh, I, so I did not I'm get not, a chance. I'm not particularly. Like, I I wasn't wild in the same way that I was Lemire's first issue, but I think I need to give Lemire's a little bit of breathing room first. Yeah, so I like, think that's fair. The appropriate time to judge Brisson's is maybe like halfway through his arc and kind of see what, what he's accomplished and yeah. whether it feels any different. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am I'm want to see what it does. I haven't actually read any of Brisson's stuff, but I've heard good things about it. I like his current bullseye quite a bit, and then I don't think I've read any of his indie stuff yet. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so we've talked about what did work about the movie. Now, what didn't work? Uh, you? X-24 is basically like the main thing. Okay, we're, we're just going to jump right into it. Well, I feel like we can talk about the villains in general, because like, again, they are a lesser focus. And I think that works. Like, I'll, mm. I'll straight up say, I think having uh, Donald Pierce, you know, obviously the cyborg guy from the Hellfire mm. Club who just hates all mutants and is instead this very southern gentleman with a robot hand. He, mm. does, he does have a robot body, so he's got that going for him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like, I think he was not an effective... I don't want to say he wasn't an effective villain. I think he was a very good plot mover, and he was just interesting enough and just charismatic enough mm. that you weren't, like, bored when he showed up on screen. Like, the thing is, but, he, he can't be the main antagonist all the way through to the third act. And I think the fact, also, like, part of that is, one, because of the fact that he's a plot mover, two, is also because he's basically just, like, a guy in pursuit. Yeah, he's a dude. And I, I get that you have to have someone to stab Wolverine and, stab, and him to stab back. Hmm. But I really do think the way they did it with X-24... Which, I don't know why X-23 works for me, and I think X-24 is the dumbest name in the world. <laughs> but. <laughs> no, it's okay. There's SpongeBob once taught us it comes around because what's funnier than 24 is 25. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, X X-24, I think it takes the subtext of the movie yeah. of... A man fighting his own demons and turns it into the text in a way that is a little too obvious. Yeah, well, that's basically my issue with it. Mm. Yeah. Like, I think he he's like, he's fine for the movie. I just think that that first half, because it was 
kind of handling those things so well, it didn't need to be that. And so, like, it isn't really. I like. I think he's necessarily awful. Like, I think the movie. Like, it's not as if the movie is half good and then becomes half bad. It's like it's half very close to being a nine out of ten for me, and then that second half is more traditional fare, and it's kind of closer to a six, six point five. So yeah, it still, yeah, yeah, it still balances yeah. out in a reasonable way. But yeah, I, I think, I think you know, people talk about that. We said the farm scene being slow, and I don't think that's it. I think after Xavier gets, you know, murder stabbed, I think from there up until uh, the kids leave for Eden, I think that like first part of the third act, I think that's actually the weakest part of the film. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, because you know the the goal of that is really get Logan to, you know, the outpost. Mm. That's that chunk, but that takes a lot longer than it should. And mm. I, I think that's that's actually if you if you want to cut some trim some fat from the movie, that's where you do it. Yeah. But on the on the topic of X twenty four, this was this was my feeling as I walked out of the theater and I saw it repeated online. But I what do you what do you think about the idea of with, with some retooling to the script? That that X twenty four instead of being uh, Wolverine would be like a saber tooth or you know saber tooth clone or whatever. I I don't think I've heard that before, but I like it a lot better immediately because it it's engaging with that kind of former self idea better. Yeah, like I I think what you would have to do with something like that you'd have to set up like you'd have to set up that saber tooth was a character in his past. You'd yeah, just, you have to have a couple of lines doing that just reminding audiences about it uh just so it doesn't feel like it's completely out of left field but even if you make x24 exactly you know lev shriver or tyler main g- give me some 2000s era saber tooth <laughs> uh but you know you do that and you you can still have him be that mindless killing machine hmm. but it has less less obviousness Mm. there's less this is this is what we're going for guys and more thematic resonance mm. I, I think, think i think, think as much as we're kind of talking about how he brings the movie down like his introduction at the farm and you know especially the scene with xavier is probably the high point of the movie which i, I mean you know, it offers I, an interesting well, high, high point in the sense like it's maybe the best executed scene it's not a high point in the sense that you feel great watching it I'd say that scene rests squarely on the shoulders of Patrick Stewart giving a very good uh, monologue slash eulogy for himself. Mm. Like it is mostly on Xavier, but kind of like those few seconds when you kind of register that it's a clone also right. work pretty well, and then you kind of realize like, oh wait, we're doing clone stuff. This is this is this is what. We say we say doing clone stuff like that wasn't the driving plot of the film. Of by the way, Logan, you're a clone daddy. Yeah, but you know it's not exactly the same. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, Laura's but, not going to grow up to look like Xavier in a way. Yeah. No, yeah, I think I think X twenty four probably probably the weaker part of the film, but I I still freaking liked it. Yeah, it like good, yeah, this is good. Finally, wants to say that oh, you can balance the script out more and spend more time with the villains and then suddenly it becomes but it's also then you're taking away stuff from like jackman as logan and i don't think it would have been as good then because mm-hmm. like this it's basically his movie like as much as the scene with xavier eulogizing himself there is great and definitely like it like as the titular character it requires him to cut nail basically everything but the good thing about the supporting characters in that of xavier and laura Mm. straight up the best thing about them is not that they are strong characters with their own arcs even though they get that Mm. everything they do is in service of developing the main character it's done to provide a foil to logan xavier is at the end of his life he is the, you know, this this is the end. These are my regrets. This is what I wish I could have fixed. <laughs> and Laura is, this is my chance to fix it. And Xavier and Laura's arcs, you know, Xavier accepting that, hey, things screwed up and it wasn't 
something I could control, but I still blame myself for it. And Laura's of, I've been made into this monster, but I can choose not to be that. I can choose to be something else. That's that's Logan's entire struggle in the movie. It's just they split it out into two characters, and I think that's a yeah. very that's a very good choice. That it adds comic book characters to a movie doesn't make you feel like they're cameos or that they're wasted, but it doesn't do it as a you know servicey thing like hey Psylocke's in X Men Apocalypse. She is still here and she is a ninja lady with a you know purple sword. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. it, it does it to build up the main thing. Like Psylocke wasn't there, just as an example, and this is not to pick on Olivia Munn, because I know she loves the character and she was excited to be in the film even though it was kind of a last minute addition to the script. Yeah. But she sort of gets one thing to do. Yeah, she's just there and she could be cookie cutter replaced with anyone and it wouldn't impact the script mm. or any of the uh any of the plot development, anything in that movie where Laura and Xavier are built from the ground up to support Logan and to tell his story, and I think that works to the movie's benefit a ton. Yeah, it it takes the old man Logan story and kind of blends it with stuff which may, maybe you wouldn't have thought to. Like, I don't, you know, before we knew the title and even, like, if people were cast, I don't know whether anyone would have been jonesing for old man Logan, but we bring in a younger version of Laura. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there are people who really wanted an X-23 movie, and mm. I think there are people who were like, Old Man Logan's one of the most popular Wolverine stories that Claremont didn't write, so maybe we should do that. But, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so uh, final thoughts on the movie, or was there, any, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? The one thing I want to ask about, because I'm kind of curious, is how do you feel about the humor of the movie? Because I had like a really in- interesting experience with it, in the sense of I, the, me and the people that I went with, we found the lines funny, but we weren't laughing. And so there was this one person who basically laughed for the theater in a way, and that was jarring in a sense because it was like, like these lines are funny, but they're simultaneously tragic. Like when Logan kind of hits the truck with it with the shovel for a prolonged period mm-hmm. of time, and like it, it runs in the way that you could laugh at it and if the movie was cut differently, it would be the point of the scene. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Ha, ha, ha. But at the time, it's like, oh, this is this this is really sad, and there's no way we can laugh at it at this point. Yeah. I think it all comes down to the tone mm-hmm. that the movie is setting up for itself. So bringing this back to The Passion of the Christ, which I have not seen since it was in theaters, because that's not really a rewatch-it movie. No. <laughs> There is a scene that really sticks out, and it is uh, Jim Caviezel's, you know, Jesus, mm. very, very popular person. Uh, uh, he's talking to his mother, and I forget who plays uh, Mary in that movie, but there, it's a flashback, and he's talking about you know being a carpenter, and there's a joke about how everyone's going to be sitting on chairs, and they're going to be all the rage in the future, and it's a good gag. It's a good line, and it has no place in that movie. Okay. That movie, that movie does not need lightning, and it mm-hmm. it's a little jarring to be like, I feel like I should be laughing, but also I'm watching a man get brutally whipped. So, mm-hmm. like, it's I think I think the same kind of tonal whiplash kind of hits logan in certain places and i i will say the the humor in logan works a lot better before before the farm thing thing before the the, the death of xavier yeah at that like point the, it's kind of point of no return the uh what is it uh the convenience store scene yeah that works because that is that is the bumbling oh no what did we get into kind of setup for the movie so you know, it it had it it had it turned that corner of, you know, you realizing how dark this is going to go before it's over. Yeah, I think it does it, or it does humor in a way which is different to the Marvel Cinematic stuff. And like this, this to me still lightens the tone in a way. I I don't think I'd go as far to say that it's tonal whiplash because there was never any point where I was like, I've been thrown out of the movie and need to readjust. Okay, but, I think that I mean I think that's fair. Yeah. But I think this like 
the attempts here are to lighten the mood internally, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like, just to give you, like, a brief reset for a few seconds, whereas the, the Marvel Cinematic stuff, it's almost, like, to reset it as a whole for the movie. Like, there's enough jokes that, like, we can have this dramatic beat, and super serious, and war machines, you know, fall into us, but then we can have a joke, okay, everything's not fine, but I'm not, like, wallowing in that event. Right. And I, I'll say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has some issues where they do not restrain on that where they should. I think the the biggest and most obvious is in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where there is a very big emotional reveal. And then immediately a, uh, oh my gosh, guy from Baywatch, very popular, oh, David Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. Yeah, there's a David Hasselhoff cameo, just bam, bam. And yeah. I think they were they weren't going for that, but there's been very few cases where like, wait, what? hey, wait, what? That that's not the right way to mm-hmm. go processing this information. Yeah, Guardians is like an unusual case, which I think you could examine similarly to this. But I think like oh. you have to treat it in a different way. Yeah, because like I... I feel like it like it is still like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but it's also the way that it uses humor and like its general plot is different to a Marvel movie. And I mean, I think there's similar themes like uh, Guardians 2 goes a lot heavier on that fatherhood yeah. uh, thing where and I I would say that sub I guess with Laura, it's you know, it is the context of the movie, but I'd say subtextually there's a lot of stuff about you know, the responsibility of a father and a son in that relationship because of, you know, Logan's surrogate relationship with that with Xavier and then his more literal relationship of that with Laura, which again goes to show show how those two characters are written in a way that serves Logan's overall story and his development. Hmm. And is it weird that we haven't been calling him Wolverine this whole time? We just accept that his name's also Logan. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, in the thing that I wrote about this and kind of explaining the X-24 issue that I had, I used Logan just because I felt like it was easier. Yeah. It's Like, yeah. it's a it's a weird way to... Or, like, I don't, I don't think I ever wrote down the Wolverine while I was drafting it up, but I think it would have been weird, like, trying to square that with this movie. Whereas if we were talking yeah. about the Wolverine or even Days of Future Past, I would probably call him Wolverine. Well, like like when I, I wrote an article about Old Man Logan uh, back mm-hmm. in February, and in that I was very precise and very specific about the words I used mm-hmm. because I did not want to describe that broken person walking around not popping his claws as Wolverine. But, you know, the moment, the moment that uh, his family gets murdered by the Hulks, then he pops his claws again in that amazing double-page spread. Uh, that's that's when it's like, oh yeah, he's Wolverine. That's right. Yeah, like it, it builds to that moment. And it's deliberate in that way to give it the full two-page spread. Yeah, because that that story has a transformation of his character very similar to this movie, and I think that's the big strength of it. This movie hmm. has a transformation of Logan as a character, and that's a big deal. Yeah. All right. Uh, final thoughts? Anything? Uh, want to touch on all that? No particular points. I think, like, I don't know whether I, whether when I listen back to this or whether people in general listen to it, it will sound as if I'm being, like, a little bit down with it because of the way that we focus on X-24, but, like, I still do really like it. Like, it, you know, like, I, like, most of it's positive. It's just, like, that one thing held it back, and so I kind of wanted to, like, follow that as, like, a through line to understand why I didn't, mm-hmm. rather no, than, I, like, I, it's bad because of this. I, I think that's a very, very fair criticism of the film, but in a very real way, I was a nine-year-old kid who just saw someone I had looked up to for a good chunk of my life die on screen, so I and that emotionally hit me where it needed to, so I let a lot of things slide in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, okay. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's everything, yeah. then. I, I think that is, that is Logan. Mm. Uh, so, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Find me at Matt underscore Sibley on Twitter and also over on Newsarama. I had a review of Dark Days the Ford, which is the kickoff to DC's summer event. That went up on Wednesday. This will 
As for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Xavier Files, like the guy who died, and then files that he may have written. <laughs> uh, you can also find me at XavierFiles.com. That's where I do weekly episodes or weekly uh, articles about X Men characters. I have another podcast called Xavier Files Reviews that's on hiatus for now because I can't run out to the comic book shop every Wednesday, read all the things, record an episode, and then put it out. That's a lot of work. I am looking to retool that, and there's some talks in progress. I don't want to get into any details because nothing's finalized, and then, you know, figure it out then. So if you're following it, don't delete the feed because... All 20 of you might really like what's going to happen next. I'm actually excited for some of the things that could be happening with it, but we will see how that actually goes. Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah. We, we have no idea what we're talking about next month. We're going to figure no. that out. But it's if going to be the same. If have suggestions, send them in, mate. We'll, like, we'll at least consider them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, we obviously we can go down rabbit holes for 45-odd <laughs> minutes and talk about... You know, our feelings about our daddies and also, you know, which Batman sounds the best. <laughs> we could do that for a while. Mm. But we'll... Uh, yeah, like that, that's that's not something you do after, you know, three months of hiatus. You've got to wait. Like, that's like two years worth of hiatus. Wait, wait. When, when is... When's, when's San Diego? When's SDCC? That's next month, isn't it? Is that next month? We may have, we may have Legion news next oh, month. Oh, true, yeah. That would be the best thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or we'll do an SDCC wrap-up, and then we'll say, hey, there was nothing about Legion. Our bad. <laughs> See you next month, guys. I could have just ended with that See you next month, guys. I feel like we should. that would have been... Just to be very clear, we will actually see you next month. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. David, David. David. Shall we begin?